This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths. Enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Run toward the sound of the cannon. The power of finding the courage to run toward what you are afraid of will ultimately set you free. Valeria interviews Michelle Kapatz. She is a transformational coach, international speaker, and storyteller on the power of mental wellness and resilience. Michelle often shares from the perspective of her own self-stigma and low self-worth that followed her after a mental health diagnosis more than a decade ago until she learned how to use those very things to set her free. Now, as a transformational coach, Michelle's passion is working with others who feel stuck and unable to move forward like she did, no matter what their obstacle may be, so that they can align their goals and desires with who they are from the inside out and find the same freedom to be their authentic selves. In addition to being a coach and speaker, Michelle is a writer, and her work about her mental health struggles and victories have appeared in the Washington Post magazine, Mary Claire, and the Tribune Review. She holds a Bachelor's of Arts in Communications from Bethany College in West Virginia and is an executive committee member of the Global Mental Health Peer Network. Meet Michelle at michellecapotz.com. Here's the interview with Michelle Capotz. In your own words, who is Michelle Capatz? So I have been on a long journey of self-discovery to find that out. And what I've learned is that I'm always evolving. Today, I am a transformational coach, speaker, and storyteller who finds joy helping others discover what they are capable of and creating a life they love. More intimately, I am a daughter, a sister, an aunt. I'm someone who loves long hikes in the woods and quiet time of meditation and prayer. I'm someone who probably takes too much pleasure in their enjoy. I love my morning coffee. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm also someone with mental illness. And for a long time, yes. that's all I thought I was. It's sad how so many of us let one experience, so experiences, especially uh, unpleasant ones, define us. And it has been my experience too. 37 years I was when that that feeling of self-acceptance and acceptance of everything that had happened to me just bathed me and then everything changed, everything. 
And I know that that's one of the topics that we'll be talking about today. So I would love to hear from you, actually, from the get-go, what has been your experience with self-acceptance and acceptance in general? Yes. So when, for me, acceptance, um, if I could... Exactly what you were saying, that one experience can change everything. And for me, that experience and what led me to self-acceptance was I went through a clinical depression in my 20s. And after that experience, I lost all self-confidence and self-worth. Several years Later, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder after several manic episodes, one in which I was found hitchhiking on a busy interstate. I was wearing Tasmanian devil boxer shorts, the ones from Bugs Bunny, a t-shirt ripped all the way up to my left breast, barefoot with my dog beside me, not on a leash. The irony of that situation is I was somebody who never left the house without my five-inch heels. Luckily, I was picked up by a fireman and not someone else and taken to the hospital. And after that experience, my mental illness defined me like you, like you just mentioned, our experiences can. It became the very essence of who I was. My self-stigmatization and low self-worth seeped into every area of my life from the people that I was attracted to, the relationships I attracted into my life, the jobs I went after, even my personal relationships with friends and family. My mind was constantly telling me that I was a failure and that I would never be capable of achieving the things I really wanted in my life. And I put myself in a box, which is where I stayed for many, many years. And that was what happened to lead me. The acceptance at that time came from accepting that I had a mental illness, but acceptance, and and we'll, I know we'll talk about this more later, but acceptance has come to mean so much more to me today, but this was over a decade ago. And at that time, it was simply accepting that I had a mental illness and learning how to live with it. Yes, that is the foundation. It has been for me too. That was my first step. I remember clearly having this very peaceful smile after realizing that, that it it was okay to have had all the traumas that I had in childhood, which had left a lot of um, physical scars and, of course, emotional scars, lots of them. So, yeah, I'll be asking you that question again. What is acceptance to you today? What's the meaning of that? But before that, let me ask you this open question. What do you feel is the purpose of the human experience? Mm. The purpose of the human experience. 
I think the purpose of the human experience is to help each other, to help another, to learn how to work together, to find your purpose and talents and learn how to use them to help each other, to share with each other. Um, I believe that every one of us has a story to tell. Everybody has a story to tell. And everybody's story can have an impact on another person. I think often we go through something and we keep it quiet or we feel a certain amount of shame about whatever it is we experienced. I know that I had a huge amount of shame with my mental illness and what had happened. Um, a lot of times we feel a certain amount of shame and don't want people to know what we have been through. But I think one person sharing their story has the power to help somebody else. And every single person has that story. Every single person has something that they've gone through that can be of service to somebody else. Mm. Yes, Michelle, beautifully said. Yes, that's um, something that's very close to my heart. This entire idea about learning our own lessons and then passing that on to others. And even before we learn them, actually in the process, because I, I believe, as you said earlier, about being a human being who is always evolving, we are always growing. So it's really being open to share ourselves, uh, our hearts anyway. I absolutely believe that. And that's also interesting to see that when I ask this question, that's exactly the answer I get over and over and over again. So it's very yes. consistent. <laughs> yes, I think that I think that's really what it comes down to is is helping each other, is being there to help each other, whatever that it'll look different for everybody, but whatever that might look like for you and however you can use your stories or your talents or your gifts in service to another. Yes. And you know, it's funny because I have been doing this work for a long time and working on myself, healing for much longer even. And I see with my husband that I'm constantly trying to pass some of the wisdom I learned from all of you amazing people here and some of the uh, spiritual knowledge that I have and the practices that I engage in. So I keep trying to pass that on to him. Um, and I just realized that he's not comfortable with that. So it seems to me like now more than ever that the only thing he really wants just me to be there for him, kind of as a friend, as a wife, as a friend. I don't have to be trying to teach him something every time we are having dinner, for example. <laughs> That's mm -hmm. the time that I really go, you know, sharing everything that I talk here and then, you know, what I have learned spiritually from my spiritual practices so sometimes it's just being present, isn't it, and listening? It, yeah. Absolutely. I think that um, I've shared in one of my talks that 
I was sharing, I was, I don't know who I was talking, I don't know who I was talking to, but someone was asking the, what you can do, like steps you can take. And I'm going back to mental health for a moment to someone that is struggling. What, what are the steps you can do? What can you take to someone who is struggling? And you're looking for steps, outlines, instructions. And sometimes there's not. Sometimes the only thing that is necessary is to be present and to listen. Sometimes it's not about trying to fix or teach or learn, educate someone. It's just listening. It's just being present in that moment for whatever is going on right then and there. Ah, that uh, has been a challenging one for me to learn because mm-hmm. it's funny how we have this uh, teacher voice inside of, in our heads <laughs> that wants to teach others. It's almost like without even any hesitation, without even thinking. It's just kind of passing on everything that we, I mean, my case has been my case. So I'm learning to... Um, especially with my husband, to just be there for him, kind of bite my tongue <laughs> a lot of times because I love talking about these things. <laughs> it's very, very, it's a challenge. It's not easy. <laughs> not easy. Uh, that's why I do this. So thank you <laughs> for having these conversations with me, Michelle, you and everyone else that I engage with. Amazing, amazing people. And that's the reason why I started this podcast. I couldn't have deep conversations like these very open and vulnerable conversations with most people around me, my families and friends and my own husband. So another open question I have for you is about mental wellness. What does it look like? How would you describe mental wellness? Mental wellness for me, um, there's a big distinction in my own definition of mental health and mental wellness. In my experience, mental health is the diagnosis. It's the doctors, it's the therapy, it's the it's the diagnosis and what that looks like. That is mental health. Mental wellness are the steps we take on our progress to heal. And that can look like a bunch of different things. And it's not just, I have found in my own experience, it's not just confined to mental health. It's being healthy in mind, body, and spirit. Um, And that means a lot of different things. It might mean... It might be as simple as getting enough sleep, eating healthy. Um, If you're on medication, taking your medication, making exercising, it may be all of those things, but it's also nurturing your spiritual and emotional health, whether that's through meditation or maybe yoga or another practice. Gratitude is a huge practice um, that I have found that helps me with my mental wellness. It's taking those steps that are going to help you to achieve 
this state of wellness, all of that, your mind, body, and spirit is what adds up to mental wellness for me. Yes, I can very much resonate with that emotional, spiritual. And speaking of spirituality or the spiritual component of us human beings, what is that to you? How do you define spirituality and what is the spirit? Spirituality has changed for me over the years. Um, I grew up, I grew up Catholic. I grew up in a Catholic schools my whole life. Um, religion was how I would answer that probably in the first part of my life. And then I would say, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And I would say that, and I didn't really know what I meant by that. Um, I think I would tell people that. I would say I'm a lapsed Catholic. I'm, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. And now um, it has a, the spirit has a completely different meaning for me. I believe that for me personally, and this is again, speaking from my own experience, I am being guided. There is, whether you call it the universe or God or Buddha, whatever it is to you, um, I personally am being guided by God, which I also call the the universe. Um, and I and I can see that in my path. Um, I I'm trying to think of the right word I want to use. I'm awaken to that or I'm aware of that I'm in touch with that through prayer and meditation um that is one way that I get closer to the spirit in my life but I know without a doubt that I am truly being led and being guided today and it's interesting because I'm actually at my mother's house right now and my mother has dementia and she is someone that has gone to church, still does every every Sunday of her life and still when I'm here tries to get me to go to church um, because that is the way, that is how she gets close to her God, but she still hasn't, she does still, but that's how she wants me to do uh, that. Yeah. And I don't go, I don't <laughs> go to church because that's uh, not my, that's not who I am anymore. Um, but it's interesting because it's still for her. I'm not, I can't have a connection with God unless I do that. It's her book. That's probably the idea, right? For a lot of people still. My mother too. Yeah, she goes to church every Sunday and she if I I cannot have this conversation about her being guided, she will never understand that. So I I choose not to have the conversation even. That's really is another point that I can it's almost you speak for me. I feel like I have been guided my entire life, really. 
and protected mm-hmm. somehow, although I got myself in trouble many times. But it's still that feeling never leaves me that everything is spiritual, that there's nothing that it's not. So there's no separation between the spirit and the emotional world and the physical world. It's all one, really. And that's one of my practices these days, just kind of integrate and kind of bring this this experience of wholeness here now to every moment of my life, which it is a practice to unite all parts of us that we perceive to be parts, but actually they are not. So it has been an interesting path for me. Talk to me for a moment about the misconceptions about mental health or mental wellness. What would they be from your perspective? I think that some of the misconceptions around mental health, and that's, you know, a lot of the work I do is around self-stigma and self-worth. Self-worth is a huge component of the work I do because it was one of the areas that was such an issue for me. But I think some of the misconceptions around mental health are... For me, it was feeling less than. Um, It was asking for help, that I needed to ask for help, that I couldn't do it on my own, which made me feel less than. It was the belief that there was something wrong with me. All of these things and the stigma, which was a huge one for me, of what are people going to think? Um, What are people going to think if they find out about my manic experiences? What are people going to think if they find out that I've been hospitalized? What are they going to think about me? Um, That was a really... That was a really big one that kept me in that box for a long time. I think that people think mental health, um, people that struggle with mental health are the strongest people I know. People that have mental health challenges are some of the strongest people that I know. It's really facing what, it sounds cliche, but facing the darkness in you and finding the light. Um, And that, that is not easy for someone to do. But that is why people that struggle are some of the smartest, I mean, some of the strong and smartest, but some of the strongest people I know, because being able to face their darkness and let the light in is some of the hardest things to do. So there's a lot of misconception that someone is weak when they're depressed, that someone is seeking attention when they're depressed. Um, 
there's a lot of misconceptions around mental health. But again, I think that overcoming and living with mental health challenges make you very courageous and very strong. Yes, and that's such a powerful message and reminder for all of us because mental health or mental illness going the other way, confusion and all that could happen to any of us. All of us are vulnerable, are open to it. It might be the reason behind there's so much stigma because then we we are kind of faced with that truth that whatever is happening with uh, the other person it could happen to us because we know deep inside we all know that that could happen i think that it's easy to judge what what we don't understand yes right that yes. a lot of people may judge what they don't understand um and that was and that's something, whatever we judge, we tend to be stuck with. Mm-hmm, and yes. what we accept, we're able to change and we're able to move through. But when we judge it, we're stuck with it. Yeah, that's so true. By resisting, we are actually persisting with the problem. Exactly. What we resist persists. What we resist stays with us. We're not able to move through something. And that is what, that is something that I've really experienced firsthand. And one of the things that I help my clients to do is I had talked earlier about the box. So that I had put myself in this box and stayed there. Um, When we, until I was able to accept that I was in the box and feel what it meant like to be in that box, I couldn't break free from it. So in his book, A New Earth, Eckhart Tall says, accepting means you allow yourself to feel whatever it is you are feeling at the moment. You can't argue with what is. Well, you can, but if you do, you suffer. And in my own experience, I was causing myself to suffer by not accepting what was going on in that moment. And only recently, have I really realized that our outside environment is all based on, it's, I won't say all, but is often a reality of what's going on in our inner world. Our inner world is reflected on the outside. Yes, that also makes a lot of sense to me. I love the message, uh, Akratol in his message. It's uh Very powerful and very true. Not accepting what is happening, what is here, it causes a lot more problems. It just increases the problem. Actually, within the same topic, you, in your bio, your website bio, you say something that caught my attention, which has everything to do with the conversation now. Run toward the sound of the cannon. 
So that was said by somebody who was a mentor, a woman who encouraged you to face your own fears. So talk to me about that experience. Absolutely. So this, I met a woman and this was during a time that I was still in that box. And I met a woman who had similar life experiences as I did. She had similar challenges. And what I noticed is she didn't wear them like a dark cloud overing, covering her head like I did. Um, she seemed very free to me. And she taught me the power of run toward the sound of the cannon is actually an old war saying. And it's it's ironic because mental illness is a battle you have with yourself. But she taught me how to run toward my illness and all of the fears I had about it as a way to break free from it. And I realized that, and I and that's come to have a whole new meaning to me today, but that I was never broken. It was a misperception that I bought into. It was a misunderstanding that I bought into. It was only my perception that was broken. And when I was able to move past the beliefs I had about myself, move past the beliefs that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't capable of accomplishing the things I wanted to do in my life, realize that I could get out of the box that I put me in, that I put myself in, that that box was simply trying to protect me. That is when my life started to change. I've only recently, I went through a year-long immersion coaching training program, and only recently did I realize that I was coaching, but I wasn't where I wanted to be. I was writing, but I wasn't I wasn't doing what I felt like I was truly capable of. And it was only in realizing that that box that I had put myself in, I didn't need it anymore. I didn't need to stay within the confines or the constraints of that box. And I was able to let it go. And by doing that, by letting that box that had been holding me and been a part of me for so long, by realizing that I didn't need it anymore, it opened up it opened up everything. It opened up a whole world that I didn't know was possible. Right. Wow, that serves as um, another powerful message. I mean, within already the beautiful message they share of being open to what's happening and uh, what is. Yeah, that really takes a shift in perspective and perception. It's almost like a must in order to change and transform. So I would love to know more about your own transformational journey, Michelle. 
the first step was acceptance, self-acceptance, acceptance of the illness. And then did you develop daily practices, meditation? I'd love to know more, to share that with the audience. How long did that take? I know we we all different and it might take much longer for some of us, but I would love for you to share that too, the time it took you to transform. The transformation, um, as I said, I'm still evolving. I'm always evolving and always transforming. So I won't go as far as to say that I've transformed. There's still, it's a continuing process, but it started, it started a, a while ago. First, it was the acceptance, like you mentioned, being able to accept my illness. And then it was focusing on the wellness, which for me meant a gratitude practice. It meant a meditation practice. And that was a huge struggle for me because I had a very hard time quieting my mind. So meditation was an ongoing, it was a struggle for me for a long time. Only now have I moved away from guided meditations and I'm starting to practice silent meditations, which is still challenging for me right now. But the biggest transformation that I've experienced is really being able to listen to my body and what it needs to tune in to the tension in my body and feeling it, like I mentioned, like feeling, realizing that I didn't need that box instead of feeling anxious and pushing it down. Um, Oh my God, I'm anxious. Oh my gosh, I'm anxious. And the more that I feel that, the more I say, oh my gosh, I'm anxious. Oh my gosh, I'm anxious. I feel anxious. The more my body is going to react to that. Neuroscientists have found that it takes 90 seconds for a sensation to pass through the body. Anything longer than 90 seconds shows we're looped in the story, that we're we're stuck telling ourselves the story. But if we notice what happens without that story, if we just experience it, what happens? When we do that, it starts to dissipate. It lessens when we do that. And I have found, I have learned how to, I was taught how to really tune into my body and pay attention to what it needs in that moment. Wow, that's another powerful reminder for all of us. We tend to, including myself, a lot of times when the sensation is, let's say, unpleasant or foreign, something that I, I don't often feel or I'm not often aware of. So there's a tendency to become nervous about it. The mind starts to create stories, as you said, there's this inner conversation that's usually 
not positive. <laughs> it's amplifying the, the problem, creating actually uh, stories upon that sensation that's going to get worse or you're going to die from it. It's kind of interesting to observe that. When, when you sit back and actually watch it, when you take a step back and you drop into the feeling so you're not so it's not just in the mind because when when it's in the mind as 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 we were just saying it reinforces that story it makes it stronger and it it just reinforces that story and you get stuck in a cycle it's like a dog chasing its tail it just you get stuck in a cycle of going around and round. But when you actually can step back and drop into the feeling and let go of the story, that's when the sensation can start to move through when you're able to let it go. And that doesn't mean that it's gone forever and it's never going to come back. But the more that you're able to do that, the more it weakens that pattern. So that's a very good tip for all of us. And the one that very much makes sense to me, a lot of sense. My practices are meditations, one of them I do. The guided meditations I do, they are not really with the purpose of calming the mind, but kind of becoming more aware of spiritual knowledge of what, what we are, not even who we are. So it's a bit different. So I was just wondering if when you speak of storytelling and stories we tell ourselves and the false belief systems and in general belief systems, they can be very dangerous because of the mind just takes hold of that and creates loops a lot of times and amplifies those stories. So I tend to tell the mind different stories. They are kind of stories, but at the same time, they are not. They are just kind of... uh, let's say, awakening parts of the mind that it cannot understand. So it's almost like giving the mind problem that it cannot solve. For example, one of my spiritual practices is to, let's say, would be the phrase that we already hold, complete. I am peace itself, freedom itself, love itself. So the mind doesn't understand that. It becomes quiet instantly, because it can't really do much with that information. So that's Mm -hmm. one of my practices, because I know how, I know the power of the mind in the sense of um, gripping onto everything. So I give that as an exercise, and it has been a very interesting experience for the mind, but one that has enriched very much my um, understanding of what this is, a felt understanding of what this is, that which we call life. So uh, would you like to make a comment on that, Michelle? I know I went a little bit out of the uh, the topic. No, no, not at all. Um, No, I agree with you. I think that when we are peace, we are love. I believe that with, for me, And again, in my experience with meditation, um, when I'm able and my mind does still move very fast, my mind 
can get caught up in the day and move very fast. So when I first sit down, it can be very difficult for me to calm it. But the way that I do that is by tuning in to my body. So you're saying that you feed the mind, I am love. That you tell the mind, I am love, I am peace, and that that stops the chatter for you. And I think that what I try to do is focus on what that feeling feels like in my body. So if I'm feeling, if I'm telling myself attention or my friend doesn't like me or um, I did that wrong, maybe I I hang up this, I, I get off this podcast and I say, oh, I didn't say that right or that didn't. I didn't do that right. I didn't come out the way I wanted it to come out. I may feel a contraction or a tension in my body at that thought. And whatever that thought might be for me when I sit down to meditate, whatever is most alive for me at that moment, I'll tune into that. Tune into that part of my body that feels that so that I can release it and free it. And that's something that works for me is not necessarily feeding my mind at that point, but trying to feed my body, if that makes sense. But I will say, you know, a long time ago, I believe that what we put on the other end of the statement, I am, we embody. So even going back to a moment to mental health, I never say I am depressed or I am bipolar because I believe whatever we put on the other end of it, we embody. So I will say I'm someone who has depression. I'm someone who has bipolar. And just that little shift makes a big difference, I have found. Yes, I love that, Michelle. Beautiful observation. Yes. Yeah, my practices are a lot more, like say, extreme (laughs) in the sense of um, even a lot of times just not giving attention to the mind because I know something in me is observing everything, the movements of the mind and the sense of memories, belief systems, thoughts. So my practice is not to give attention to the mind. Just let it do what it does, all the functional things and the memories that's supposed to be here. It will be whatever needs to be remembered. It will be. And it's a trust-based kind of practice too. Coming from that fundamental understanding that I am, we are, complete, whole, peace itself, freedom itself, love itself. And that's not really, it's not a belief system. I'm not trying actually to tell the mind to believe in these things, but it's coming from a different place, which is kind of interesting to notice too, that feels so true that the mind cannot touch it. 
The mind mm-hmm. tries to, yes. but can't. Yes. <laughs> it can't do much about it because it is the, the truth with capital T. So that has worked for me, I have to say. That's, it's going a lot more into the spiritual realm, but it has been, uh, it's been incredible to see the, the shifts, just to watch everything. <laughs> the mind itself, the body does what it does, so I don't really pay much attention to it. Although I'm very healthy, I'm, I'm aware of that, eating healthy, exercise, and all the self-care practices, but it's not really, I'm not attached to any of it. Engaged, yes. but not attached, which creates the sense of freedom. <laughs> Absolutely. That is the key, to be engaged and not attached. Yes, right. We can listen to it, to the mind when it's talking and all that, but it's almost like a child to me these days. That's how I see the mind, listening to a child. And, you can, <laughs> and it's important to question the mind. You can ask, where did that thought come from? to question your own beliefs and question the mind. Where did it come up with that idea? Where did that start from? Um, And the validity of it, is it true? Is what it's telling you true? Because oftentimes are the thoughts and stories that we tell ourselves are stories that were created a very long time ago that weren't even true that were created in our childhood that aren't even that aren't even true that we're still living out of today. Yes, a billion times to that. And you know, it has been said that's for those who believe in reincarnation, mind continuation, that the mind content just keeps um, kind of coming back in new bodies. It, it kind of doesn't leave us. So in a way we have to live it. It's kind of uh, letting go of the mind altogether. Not in a sense of just being completely free, like some people are actually. They just live in forests, kind of isolated from everything because they had enough with the, the mind engaging even with all these constructed ideas of who we, we are, how we're supposed to think, to act, things that we are supposed to believe in when we live in societies like this one. It's not my path to do that, but I do see clearly that the attention of whatever it's here, it's really on who I am or what I am, which is infinite, unlimited. It's not bounded to anything. So it's free and it's it's peaceful. It's peace itself is not even peaceful because that implies that there's an, an opposite. So there's no opposites. Mm-hmm. It's just peace itself. Which it's it has a lot of power, even those kinds of um, practices, if they don't become belief systems. I agree. I agree completely. It has enormous power when you know that no matter what is going on around you, no matter what is going on outside of you, no matter what is going on around you, that you are at peace and that you will be okay. No matter what happens on the outside, no matter if your dog dies or your husband leaves you or all of these, no matter what, that you can, that you will be okay. 
that is and remain at peace, that is a powerful place to be. Yes, that's exactly it. And it it is a practice because of all the conditions we have, body-mind conditions, it becomes a practice. It's kind of a contradiction for that to be a practice because it is essentially what we are, but it's kind of bringing that flavor more and more into our, our daily lives. That's the service of those practices. Just bring more and more and more of that. To, to this, to this moment, to this body-mind experience, <laughs> which is kind of becomes fun in a way. When we're really kind of grounded into it, and then it becomes fun. Everything's fun. The mm-hmm. mind doing what it does and whatever, like you said, whatever's happening, people dying around us and all this. We know there's no death. And then, yeah, everything changes. It's incredible. So I want to thank you. We're almost at the end, Michelle. And it has been such a lovely conversation. I would stay here forever <laughs> if I could. So thank you so much for your presence, for everything that you represent. I love, love how honest you are, the place you come from. That's spiritual to me. I mean, I see everything as spiritual. But this is, to me, what you're doing is living spirituality. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. And before we say goodbye for today, is there anything that you left unsaid for today's conversation? I think that um, run towards the sound of the cannon. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> that stayed with me. <laughs> Believe me, that has been my experience too. Just running towards that, right? Everything that I was afraid of. Yes, such a powerful message. I love that. And you have right on your website, like it's the first message we see. <laughs> Beautiful. Thank you so much again. And before we say goodbye, what is the best way to be in touch with you, Michelle? You can send me an email at michelle at michellecapotz.com or follow me on Instagram at michellecapotz.com spelled out and my website. Yes, I'll have it here, the links. Thank you so much again for your beautiful presence and we'll talk soon. Bye for now, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Michelle Kapatz and her work, please visit michellekapatz.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.